Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Jack Baca with the Village Church in Rancho Santa Fe, and I welcome you to this section of our study of the Book of Romans. This is a study for the week of March 28th, our 12th study in the series, and we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 36. So that we can understand where we are within the larger context of the entire letter to the Romans, let's remember that in the first eight chapters of Romans that we've already looked at, Paul lays out the case that all people have sinned, that all people fall short of the glory that God made for us. Even the Jews have sinned, Paul would say. But God has an answer to our sin. That answer is in his Son, in the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul discusses the grace of God, that God comes to us to rescue us from our sin, not just in paying for it in the death of Christ, but then also in leading us into a new way of life that is patterned after Jesus Christ. As he begins chapter 9, and remember Paul did not write the chapters, we inserted the chapter and verses. As he begins chapter 9 for us, Paul asks a question. You see, Paul is a good Jew. Paul has understood that God has worked through the history of the Jewish people to demonstrate and to embody his salvation for all people. And so Paul has to ask the question, well, what about the Jews? Wasn't God saving the Jews from the very beginning? Paul is asking that question because, of course, many Jews are rejecting Jesus. Christians make the case that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ who is sent by God to, to offer salvation to all. But the Jews, many of them, most of them in fact, were not accepting or receiving Jesus as their Messiah. And for Paul, this presented a great theological problem, an existential problem. How could the chosen people that God had worked with from the time of Abraham hundreds and hundreds of years ago, how could they reject their own Messiah? And so, what for us is chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Romans, Paul is discussing that question. He has made the case that Jesus, in some sense, is a stumbling block for the Jews. They don't get it that God has sent them the kind of Messiah that Jesus is. They've wanted a different kind of Messiah. Let's be quick to note that Paul is not anti-Semitic, nor can we be anti-Semitic. Certainly, God is not against his people. But there is a problem. Why are they rejecting Jesus? Jesus is always available to us. Jesus is available to the Jews, but the Jews are rejecting Jesus. And so Paul makes the case that it's important for us to understand, as he tries to understand and then share with us, what God is doing in this whole business of the Jews rejecting Jesus. So let's now move into Romans chapter 11. It's a complex argument. I want to read the passage for us, and I want you to listen carefully as I read, perhaps follow along, and that will be the best way for us to begin to get clarity in what Paul is saying here. So Romans chapter 11, we'll look at the first 12 verses. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. 
I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Elijah says, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine reply? What is God's reply to Elijah? God says, I have kept for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would be no longer grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a sluggish spirit, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and keep their backs forever bent. So I ask, have they stumbled so as to fall? By no means. But through their stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their stumbling means riches for the world, and if their defeat means riches for Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Let me say a word about the context from which Paul was writing. Paul's experience as he himself was converted to believe in Jesus when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul had preached Jesus, the Messiah, to his Jewish brothers and sisters, his Jewish family. And in that experience, he had understood and, and, and seen that some of the Jews had received Jesus, but, but most had not. And so Paul began to preach to the Gentiles. Paul began to welcome anyone who would hear about Jesus. And many, many Gentiles now, non-Jews, were coming into Christian faith. That experience taught Paul something about what God seemed to be doing in this business of the Jews rejecting Jesus, but the Gentiles accepting Jesus. What Paul sees is, number one, that, that God has a plan for all of it. God still is in charge of all of it, that we need not worry about what God is going to do with us or with other people or with his creation. God is in charge. Some people would say, well, is it fair of God to harden the hearts of some? That's what Paul says. What Paul essentially says is that God has made it so that some of the Jews would not understand Jesus as their Messiah, so that then Paul and others could preach Jesus to the Gentiles. We have to ask this question. It's a historical what if. What if the Jews had all received Jesus as Messiah and begun to worship him? Maybe there would have been no interest on any of the Jews' part to talk about Jesus with people other than the Jews. But what Paul saw is that because the Jews were resistant to the gospel, then the gospel went out to the Gentiles. And wasn't that a glorious thing? It was as if God said, I'm going to keep the Jews uh, at, at, at a distance for a little while so that the Gentiles can come into a relationship with me. Paul goes all the way back into the story about Elijah. Elijah 
pleaded before God and said, God, your people have rejected me. Let's just wipe them out. They've rejected you, so you reject them. And God says, no, Elijah, I have kept a faithful remnant. There are some who still believe, who still trust, and I have given them this trust. This is a complex argument, so hang with me. Paul says that God offers his gift of grace, his gift of a relationship with him, and he always makes sure that some receive that gift. It's almost as if God chooses for some to be open to the gospel and others not to be open. That's where we get into the question of predestination, and I don't want to discuss that whole question here. But what Paul means to say is that God is doing what God plans to do in his sovereign love and grace and wisdom. And if God makes it so that some seem not to understand the gospel for a while, that's okay because God is making sure that others will understand the gospel. There will always be a faithful remnant. Now, that does not mean that you and I are not charged with the responsibility of making a wise choice and asking others to make that same choice when it comes to receiving Jesus. It does mean, however, that there's more going on in our acceptance of the gospel than just our own personal and private decision. God is at work to offer his grace and in a great mystery of faith that only God truly understands. Some choose and some choose not to believe and trust in God. What Paul sees is at work here is that is that the, the hardness of some has opened the possibility for the gospel to be shared with others, and that eventually God will bring all people and all things back to himself, those whom he chooses. And God gets to do that, because God alone is God. That's hard for us to give up that that privilege and that responsibility to God. We want to say, no, I get to choose if I want to be saved or not. And in a sense, that's very, very true. But on the other hand, in the great paradoxical nature of faith, on the other hand, God gets to choose us too. And so we hold both of those things together. At the end of the day, it is God who is in control. It is God who offers his grace And so let's continue to focus on that grace of God that's offered to everyone. Jew, Gentile makes no difference whatsoever. Now let's keep reading through verses 13 through 24 of Romans 11. Hang with me. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I glorify my ministry in order to make my own people jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And if the root is holy, then the branches also are holy. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in their place to share the rich root of the olive tree, do not boast over the branches. If you do boast, remember that it is not you that support the root, but the root that supports you. You will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand only through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, perhaps he will not spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. 
severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And even those of Israel, if they do not persist in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you have been cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? Well, here Paul wants to use a couple of of, uh, analogies to help us understand what's going on. Paul has spoken, in a sense, somewhat harshly about the Jews and said, wow, you guys have rejected your Messiah. That's okay. God is, in a sense, sacrificing you for the moment so that the Gentiles will come in. And then he turns and looks at the Gentiles and said, you Gentiles, don't be proud. Don't be haughty. Don't think that, that this is all about you. No, this is about God's grace for you. You are, 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 like, uh, are like a wild olive branch that's been grafted onto the root. You have been grafted and incorporated into the holy people of God that began with the people of Israel. Don't think that you're anything special. Especially don't think that you are more special than the Jews. This is an important note for me to emphasize because there's so much history in Christianity of anti-Semitism of saying that the Jews rejected their Messiah, therefore they're worthless, they're rejected by God. Paul would never say that. The scripture never says that. It is completely unchristian to hate Jews. The Jews are, I like to say, our cousins. They are really brothers and sisters in faith, though we might believe differently for now about Jesus. Paul is making a beautiful case here that it all really begins with a gift of grace from God. It was a gift of grace that God came to the Jewish people. It was a gift of grace that God comes to all. And so none of us have any standing whatsoever to stand in pride or superiority over any other group of people because it's God's grace that welcomes us all. And so again, Paul is continuing to look at that issue. There's a long history here. We want to ask questions about whether or not individual people get saved. What about those Jews 2,000 years ago who rejected Jesus? Did they go to hell? Are they in hell forever? Well, only God can answer that question. What you and I have to remember is Paul's emphasis through the whole letter of the book of the Romans, that it is God's grace that saves us all. It is not our works. It is not what we decide. It's not what we believe. It's not what we do. It is only God's grace. Once we've accepted that grace and understand what it is, then we begin to believe and do differently, to be sure. But remember, it begins with God's grace. And so Paul is holding out the offer of grace still for all of God's people, in a sense, for all of time. But especially now as Paul is thinking about Jews and Christians of his day and the Jews who would not receive the Messiah, Paul still holds out the option of grace because he himself had received that grace and that grace is offered to us. So let's continue on with the last little bit of uh, chapter 11. I have given you in your notes, by the way, a couple of quotes, one from Zechariah, one from Isaiah, that talk about God's welcome of other people. You see, even in the Old Testament, 
even in the Old Testament, it was very clear that God welcomed all people to come into a relationship with him, that one day God wanted all people, regardless of being Jew or Gentile, to come and to be with him in relationship with him. Let's finish off then. Romans 11, verses 25 to 36. So that you may not claim to be wiser than you are, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this mystery. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, out of Zion will come the deliverer. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they, meaning the Jews, are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their ancestors, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that, by the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may be merciful to all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Okay, God, or excuse me, Paul continues to describe God's grace for us. Paul sees that, as he said earlier in Romans, all people have been and are disobedient to God. We do not follow God's ways. We do not trust God. Sometimes we don't even believe there is a God. Paul sees that God has a way of resolving our disobedience purely with his grace. And so, as we might say at the end of the day, when Paul struggles with the question of those who believe and those who do not believe, Paul ultimately falls back on the grace of God and says, yes, of course, I proclaim Jesus and I want everyone to believe and I call everyone to believe and you and I need to believe. But more than that, God is at work. Some of the Jews' disbelief, their disobedience has led the Gentiles to come to him. Sometimes it's the Gentiles who disbelieve. It was the Jews who first of all believed it was from out of the Jews that the Messiah came. And so much of what Jesus taught us is so rooted and grounded in, in, in the Jewish history and tradition. We could not have Christianity without Judaism. Plain and simple. And so Paul ends this section, 9, 10, and 11. He ends this conversation about, about why some to seem to receive the Messiah and others do not. Paul ends with a great hymn, a, a prayer of praise. He says, you know, God is doing something huge here. I've given us some ways of understanding it and looking at it, but at the end of the day, there's something bigger going on than you and I can understand. But God is wise. God is powerful. God is faithful. God is filled with grace. 
That's the last word that Paul would have us understand. As much as we promote and proclaim Jesus as the Lord and Savior of all, and we still do, we know him to be the way to God. When others reject that message, we simply say, you know, God has this figured out. It's not up to us to judge. Only God can judge. That's how Paul leaves the question. I know some of us aren't satisfied with that. We'd like to know more. We'd like to know the details. We'd like to know exactly how it works out. But we cannot because we are not God. And so faithful Christians, I believe, when they look at people who are not Christians, whether Jewish or not, we say, God, we know that you love them just as you loved us. We know that you reach out to save them just as you have reached out to save us. And that will always be our attitude towards others who do not believe. The same attitude of God that reaches out in grace and love and mercy. The same grace, the amazing grace that saved us. Keep pondering. Keep praying. Keep studying these things and the Lord will bless you. Amen.